0: Welcome to this, our very final episode of this year's Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. If you haven't seen the grand final, you got to check it out. Head to 10 Play and watch it on demand and catch up with any of this season's episodes right there. But I'm assuming if you've come this far, you've watched the final because that's what we're going to be talking about right now with our guest panel, George from last year's season, the King of Bankstown our formerly reigning soul survivor. That's right, Haley. you've passed the baton on. You're no longer the queen. But great to have you nonetheless. And, of course, our resident expert and podcaster extraordinaire, Shannon Gus. Guys, we have a winner. After quite an epic season, Mark has taken the crown. He was a dominant force for a long time. He had two idols. He had a power couple, and he's managed to sway the jury. What do you think of this result?
1: Mark is an amazing winner of this season of Australian Survivor. I would have never thought going into a game like this that Mark, who is clearly such a big threat, he's a huge guy, he's played before, he's clever, he's a nice person, that he could make it so far and take it out. So he has done some really clever moves here to be able to lower his threat level. Excellent final tribal performance. Um, I can't wait to get into it, but I'm overall so happy that Mark is now our new champion.
2: Yeah, big congratulations to Mark. I think he's been in command from day one all the way right through to the end at day 47. And he's someone that really used all of his life experience, A, as a former player, and B, from the Special Forces, to perfection. He interrogated players to get information, and he used that information purposefully to get rid of other players in the game. He decreased his threat level, and he focused on his strengths, which was his social game and being in command and being in control. And we've got the winner, the general Mark has won the game and he's taken your crown. And do you know what? He's a really deserving champion of this season.
3: I think as well that I don't want it to get lost how much Sam and Mark did as a team. We talked pre-season about how much returning players can dominate on these hybrid seasons, but I don't think we could have really suspected just how well Sam and Mark would do in that, you know, getting two idols between them, really steamrolling a lot of the game through the merge, having power on their different pre-merge tribes as well. And I feel like this was just such a team effort. Even he says, you know, he didn't care if it was going to be him or Sam. They made that sacrifice together. They gathered so much power together. They fought against a lot of twists together that almost derailed them and did have to take out Sam at a point, but they got it done. And I think that as a pair, they really just were so dominant and just congratulations to them both on this.
0: So Hayley, you had that crown for a while. What does it feel like to hand over the title of Soul Survivor to someone else?
1: I am stoked to have Mark come and join this big table of winners that is growing every year. He's a very, very deserving Soul Survivor. What an amazing game and, yeah, stoked to be able to pass on the crown.
3: And I think we know Haley will always keep the crown, not only as a winner, but as one of the best players ever. So I, it's less of a passing for me and maybe more like in Mean Girls where we break up the crown yeah. and everyone gets a piece of it. I think that's much more what we're doing right now.
0: Let's take a step back and unravel all of this to probably Ep 23 before jumping into that final. I mean, we saw Shay be just such an immense threat physically. What is it about her and her endurance that made her so tricky to beat?
1: Everybody watched this game before, so they know that at the end game, it tends to be an endurance challenge. And so Shay is clearly someone who is amazing at endurance. So I do understand why everyone was threatened by her. I don't know so much if it was that they didn't want to sit next to her at the end, or more so that they wanted to have the security of immunity themselves. So if I'm someone like Mark or Josh, I really want to know that I'm going to be safe. So Shay is there. I don't think I can be safe because she's going to win it. I think that was the big threat here.
2: Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Haley. I don't think the other players were necessarily looking at Shay and thinking she's a threat to win the title, but she was almost a lock, stock and barrel guarantee to win these endurance style immunity challenges. And do you know what? It's a good lesson for future seasons of Australian Survivor and players that might be listening to us here today that the players that do really, really well at these endurance type challenges are the ones with a low body weight, and high core strength, and lots and lots of muscles. And that is Shay to a T. All we saw Shay doing was doing yoga poses at camp, left, right, and center. And then when we see these challenges come up that rely on just balance and endurance, of course she's going to win. And I think Josh and Mark knew that.
3: I think for Shay, like George has shown even last season with his relationship with Haley, in how you can use those strong players if you need to get further in the game and if that relationship is there. So for Josh, Shea is the perfect target because A, it means he's not the target. He gets that space keeps Mark in as a shield and he gives himself a better chance of winning at the next round for someone like Mark. I actually think it was ideal for Shay to win that immunity challenge and for KJ to become the target, even though it might've put him on the block a little bit, but to keep Shay there for that extra round to make sure Josh wouldn't win immunity the next time. I think that's great. And, And in terms of keeping Shay, KJ certainly wanted to Chrissy should have wanted to because she'll protect the immunities from those big guys. She'll take you through. And then you can sit next to someone that you don't think you could win. So I think that there are a lot of dynamics to this. But for Josh, who was really pushing Shay, I totally understand that as a move for sure.
2: And I just wonder what Sam Gash is thinking when we had that debate between who should be the preferred target at the early part of the merge Khan or Shay. And maybe she's thinking, I told you so, because Shay's the one that just won all the challenges at the end.
0: Also, within that episode, we saw a tied vote. From your perspective, was it a mistake for KJ not to vote with Chrissy, do you think?
1: Yeah, this is such a surprising and interesting vote. I do think that this was a mistake on the behalf of KJ in reading Mark wrong. Mark has done a great job at convincing KJ that he is going to vote with Josh when he's not. And this is great for Mark to do because he needs to know where her vote is going. But KJ read that wrong and read Mark's next step incorrectly. It's also a mistake here on Chrissy's part, because what we see Chrissy doing is being a bit wishy-washy and I don't know if I'm going to go with the girls or not, when what she really needs to do is say to the girls, I am 100% with you, I'm definitely doing this, don't worry about me, because if she had have done that, then the girls would have trusted that um, Chrissy was going to be voting in the direction of Mark, and we might have then seen three women sitting at the end.
2: I'm sure KJ is ruining the decision, and I feel for her, but... She played such a perfect game to get to this key point in the game with five people left. And she had two plans. The first plan was to tell Mark to vote for Josh. Okay. That was actually the dummy plan. That was less likely to happen. But she pitched to Chrissy to vote for Mark. Chrissy bought the plan. The key tactical error that I'm sure KJ is ruining still to this very day is she didn't bind with Shay to just vote Mark off. The most realistic thing for Chrissy to do was not to vote against her number one, which she vocalized at many tribal councils prior, Josh. She was more likely to turn against Mark, and then it's that that key kind of like the key issue of decision making and timing out there in real time. You're either right or you're wrong, and in this instance, KJ was wrong, and it led to her being voted off in the revote.
3: For me, it's trying to read two different swing votes that they're pitching. So is Mark gonna vote against Josh or is Chrissy going to vote against Mark and Josh is the priority. Like if they have it their way, they definitely want Josh out, but they aren't buying that from Chrissy. And I completely agree with Haley. It's such a credit to Mark that at first, you know, they don't believe him. He kind of loses that momentum with them. It gets them to pitch to Chrissy and then he gets a vote on them, but he reads that well enough to go back to them and convince them back to his side. So absolutely a brilliant job on Mark. And I think, yeah, for KJ, it's so unfortunate to misread that because if she, if she doesn't and they vote out Mark with Chrissy. Then she's at a final four where she's at least getting fire. Possibly Chrissy's voting against Josh there as she ends up doing. Going to a final three with the girls, which I think is pretty open. So it's just a very unfortunate mistake. I want to say for Chrissy as well, the half flip for me, this was a painful one because she she flips on Mark, which she needs to do. She can't go to the next round without the two girls there. That's her best shot at winning at the final three. Um, So she does go for Mark and she has to again. It's like literally between having a shot to win for me and not. And then she doesn't go through with it to vote out Josh, which she will do 24 hours later. I know dynamics have changed, but that is something that she will commit to very, very soon. For me, once you voted for Mark and you're the swing vote at the tie, you have to take out Josh and just go all in with the women. And I felt like that half measure for me, I didn't think that was a great move.
0: Let's move forward to that immunity challenge at the end of E.P. 24 I mean, it looked really uncomfortable and difficult and painful at the same time. How hard do you think that would have been?
2: I have a particular point of view on this specific challenge, and I don't think it was an even playing field. These kind of challenges, the survivor gods determine them well, well in advance. But for someone like Shay, who literally is a yoga instructor, a hashtag fitspiration professional on Instagram, like, of course she was going to win. And do you know what? Josh and Mark knew this two episodes ago. They were saying at that tribal council... That Shay is someone that's highly likely to win these endurance challenges at the end of the game. And it's not an even playing field. It's not an exciting challenge to watch when of the four players that are there, you've got two big men with a very high body weight ratio, Chrissy, who's just an ordinary person off the street, essentially, and a physical weapon like Shay. It's just like, you know, you might as well given her the win before it even started.
1: Yeah, I must agree that it's. Um, this was a lot more physical than we have seen before for final challenges. We tend to know that it's going to be endurance, but it often ends up being some sort of endurance that has a bit more of a level playing field where if you hold on long enough, you can get it. We saw Christy win the endurance in the first season. We saw Baden win the endurance in season four. So it's not always the most physical player that wins it, but this was a bit different in that it did seem like you got to have some core strength. It did remind me a little bit um, about one of our challenges because when someone is really scared of heights, that can actually make them hold on longer for a challenge like this where your body is shaking, but you're so terrified to let go that you just keep pushing. Um, It did give me a bit of a flashback for that. And George, you might remember.
2: Yeah, because it was me. But look, uh, (laughs) I look at this. This was literally a planking exercise and it was never in doubt. Shay was going to plank for the longest. That's what she did. And um, good luck to her. her. That's her strength in the game. Maybe she should have been targeted a bit earlier, given that it was a known risk in keeping her there. But the challenge that Haley and I had, yes, on paper, if you were smaller and more physical, you had an advantage like Haley did. But do you know what? I, as a person off the road, pushed myself for almost five hours. I was very close to Flick, who lasted just over five hours. And then that was a determination of how much pain can you handle. Now, clearly... Our pain researcher, PhD candidate Haley, knows how to manage pain more than anyone else, and she won that challenge. But this wasn't a challenge where people could push through the physical barrier, it was just who had the strongest abs, and it was Shay.
0: So Shay ends up doing exactly what Sam predicted the whole way along, that she would win the final two challenges. I mean, knowing how tough she was at those endurance and those strength-to-weight ratio challenges, should they have tried to take her out sooner than they did, knowing the threat she posed?
3: I think that this is so hard because there are so many things in play. I mean, even, yeah, as early as the pre-merge, she's winning immunity challenges that are saving her. Then she does get taken out. Then she goes to purgatory, she wins her way back. And then there were so many dynamics, like there were massive twists that shifted the power into her favor. So at that point, she's got control. She has a shield in Geordie, who somehow at times was even more of a physical threat than she was. Um, and then there were just further dynamics and then further challenge wins as well. So it, it shows, it's a long game. There should be so much time, but then when these mechanisms get thrown in and these little immunity wins, that can get you to the end. So I think they tried their very best. Like I'm trying to find the, the spot for her where she should go for, for everyone else. It's a really tough one.
2: See, I've I've got the answer to that, Shannon, and do you know what it was? It was in episode two when the original Water Tribe could have split the vote between the person that had the idol in Shay, who's a physical weapon, and Brianna, and they decided to just dump the votes on Brianna, and then that's the time when you get someone like Shay, who's vulnerable to a vote in a minority out of the game. She came back from purgatory, completely agree with your analysis there. She always had a bigger target in front of her, and by the time she became the target, it was time uh, for the endurance challenges in the game, and she, as expected, won those. So credit where credit's due, Shay really did play to her strengths, but was it exciting to see that, just sitting on my couch, that the supreme athlete beats the others at these kind of endurance-based challenges? Well, I'm going to be honest, it wasn't, not from my perspective.
3: I will say in terms of episode two, like that's what's so hard about the game is you want her there physically then. That's how the game shifts to that being your biggest danger from what was previously your biggest asset. Like let her win you challenges, rewards, keep you safe from tribal council. And I do think that for Shay, possibly some of her best moves in the game were in that very, very early stage when Brianna is going, but she's socially connecting and she's making herself valuable to the tribe so that she doesn't go very early because she's a threat from moment one from before the game even starts. So I think those early relationships and how valuable she was is, is a credit to her. But I also understand it from everyone else's perspective, wanting to keep a challenge asset and thinking you'll get her at a point and then actually getting her and then she comes back. Australian Survivor is very hard in that way. Yeah, I agree. It's tricky. And Shay had a, a more of a fine line to get to the end because she's so
1: physical and she's such an insurance athlete that it is kind of hard for her to get there because if she's also a huge strategic and social threat, like... I think you'd gone for her a little bit earlier. So, yeah.
0: So, in the end, there we saw Mark, Shay, and Chrissy vote for Josh, and Josh vote for Chrissy. And from the final five, Mark had pretty much stated that the plan was to get rid of Josh at the final four because he felt Shay was not going to be able to be beaten when it came to the immunity challenges. How did you think that play worked out? What did you make of it?
2: I think you have to really look at Mark and congratulate him on making Josh the primary target there. And that is deliberate by design and his strategy, which he outlined from the beginning, was to make Josh seem like the leader of the camp and to make him seem to the other players as someone that's more likely to win. When you are planning for end game, you have to start thinking about that final tribal council when there are probably about seven or eight players left. So I looked at Hayley when we were at this stage of the game and we knew it was in both of our interests to work together to get to the end and get rid of those big kind of like jury threats at the time that we did in the game. And I think Mark had that mindset and he set it up by design. But then there was also the element of luck. The luck in this circumstance was Josh having a brain explosion and targeting Chrissy when he could have just binded to her. They could have walked back into camp after that immunity challenge, looked each other in the eye and said, do you know what, it's sad, but we have to get rid of Mark today. And then Josh really would have been picking up his check for half a million dollars. I feel for Josh. Tactically, he was spot on for the entire game. But boy, is he probably ruined that decision to target Chrissy at the wrong time.
3: I don't think it was a brain explosion. Like I think that what Josh is banking on is that he and Mark are fairly even targets to Shay and Chrissy and that he can sell that to Mark. So then it's like, well, it works in our best interest to at least assure ourselves fire, not try to go to the three one on the clear vote, because if the girls vote against you, then you've just 2 one one yourself out of the game. So it's like trying to work on that equal threat level. I think what Josh was misreading was how much more of a threat he was than Mark. And a lot of that is on Mark pushing it and credit to him there. And it's also just on the fact that I think Josh was in like the power position to win the game. So he's misreading that. I think it was very obvious to everyone else that he needed to go. And there was no logic to really work with Mark there because Mark can clearly read the disparity in their threat levels. I think what he needs to do in that case is probably go to Christy and work with what is a lack of logic and really just true loyalty in relationship to be like, take me through, make it on the connection, not have it be based on pure strategy. But at that point, she already voted for Mark at the last time. There's a little bit of a crack in that relationship. And he's trying to go there on the logic with Mark rather than the loyalty with Chrissy. I don't know that it would have worked with Chrissy. It might have. She ends up voting against him. He's come against her. As I said, she flipped the day before as well. It is a really, really tough one. But you would hope for Chrissy that maybe she would have just given it to him if she was looking at a difficult final tribal council either way
2: I think I understand Josh's mindset on day 46 so Josh knows that Shay's going to vote for him and he's getting at least one vote so he's telling himself if he binds together with Mark that's two votes on Chrissy and Chrissy you think was going to vote for Josh which is what she ended up doing and Josh is going to be in a 2-2 situation a fire against Chrissy where he'll back himself to win I think Josh doesn't vote for Mark because he would have foreseen Mark and Shay voting for him and himself and Chrissy voting for Mark. And he probably thinks in his mind he loses a fire challenge to Mark, who could probably make a fire like this from his SAS training. So I, I think that in his mind is what the situation was in real time. With hindsight and the luxury of watching it back, he's probably ruining his decision not to bind with Chrissy. Because Mark, in that situation, of course, is going to vote for Josh. And it was just the decision that cost him half a million dollars.
1: This is a really good gameplay by Mark because he's read the situation very well. He was in a risky spot here. If two girls voted for him and Josh voted for Chrissy, then Mark's one vote on Josh would vote himself out on 2-1-1. So Mark needs to be really good in reading the room here that at least one of the girls is going to vote for Josh. Because if he reads that wrong, Mark is going home. But he doesn't. He reads it correctly. He's done all the legwork to put Josh forward as this threat, the leader, that he has saved himself here from even needing to make fire and sends Josh home. So it's very impressive reading of the room by
3: Mark. Yeah, Josh's whole plan was built in the inability to read it, in the fear of the two girls coming against Mark, in how much tighter they are as a unit. And in the fear of splitting from that, sending yourself home in the 2-1-1. But I think it's just unfortunate that he was a bigger threat. I think that he realized it wasn't as even as he thought it was. And so they weren't as aligned as he thought. If they're both in the same position where it's like, it's a 50-50, it could be me or you, then you don't really want to take that risk and give all the power to the girls. You want to take back your own power. But if you could read that and it's not a 50-50 and you can go with more of a sure thing, that's what Mark is going to do. So it was it was on that ability to read that Mark could win the day in that way.
2: See, Shannon, I'll go back to what you said before, and I think this is where Josh kind of missed an opportunity. Once Shay wins the immunity necklace at Final Five, the relationship that Josh had with Shay had to become his priority. You can't rule any relationship out when there's so few players left in the game. So Josh should have started campaigning against Mark at that very point in the event that Shay did what she was expected to do, which was to win immunity. Because Shay voting for Josh is basically terminal and at best sends him to fire. So I think Josh realised that well too late in the piece and was hoping to have fire against Chrissy, but he, he missed the opportunity. He misread the room. Mark is an opportunist. Mark has been pushing Josh as the leader since basically day one. And do you know what? Mark's strong gameplay not only got rid of Josh at that critical time instead of himself when he's a huge, obvious target, but it delivered him the crown that he deserves.
3: Yeah, I mean, you see with Josh's game, he's always in that dominant leadership role. He always has that disparity between the people on the bottom. That's the kind of game that he plays. He'll work with a lot of different people, but that hierarchy will always be clear. So we probably see a symptom of that gameplay in his relationship with Shay. But I think as well, you go back to the read at the final five, Mark and Josh are working very hard to protect each other, to use each other as a shield at the final four. But Mark is the one who's correct in that because Josh is a shield for him and will be at the final four and that will get him through. For Josh trying so hard to protect Mark, Mark wasn't a shield for Josh. Josh was further out in front and Mark had pushed that. So that's a credit to him. But again, it's on, I think, him reading that it was more, even more close um, in terms of threat level than it actually was.
2: See, I kind of go back to my season with Haley, and don't want to talk about it too much, but at this point in camp, we kind of had this people's agreement where we went off individually, two contestants at a time, and we had frank conversations with each other, and then we rotated around. I don't think this happened this season because you heard Chrissy say at the final tribal council that after the immunity challenge, Josh couldn't look at her in the eyes before they walked off to tribal council. And that's good reading of the of the room by Chrissy. She's Had Josh as her number one the entire time, she sensed that he might be turning on her and she's made her own deal with Mark to get rid of Josh. It guaranteed her the final three, it guaranteed Mark the final three and do you know what? They got there and Josh didn't.
0: Now Mark's point was that Josh was just so well-liked by the jury. He had a great story and he would have been really hard to beat in the end. Do you think Josh would have won if he'd made it to that final three?
1: Yeah, I think that we can only go by what we're, they're saying in terms of the way everyone's being perceived on the ground. And I think if Josh were at the end, he would definitely be a big threat to win the game. It would be interesting had Josh and Mark been there together because I think they would have pulled votes from each other. I don't know how that would have landed, but um, I imagine, yeah, definitely he would have been a huge threat to win.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Haley. because there was there's one key difference between Mark and Josh's game and it's over the two idol fiasco. Mark has blood on his hands. He has blood on his hands and slight ill will with people with the jury, which he ameliorated at that final tribal council. Josh doesn't have that. The only person that Josh really turned on was Sam. And Sam has so much respect for the game that if Josh was at that final tribal council instead of Mark, she probably votes for Josh as well. I think Josh would have won in a landslide in this hypothetical world, but unfortunately for him, he didn't get there.
3: Yeah, I think Josh beats anyone for a couple of reasons. You talk about the blood on your hands, that's, that's true as well. He didn't have that much blood on his hands for someone who was controlling so much of the game. It was in a very methodical way without it maybe seeming like personal slights. Another thing is that he really led it. From what we saw, he was definitely the alpha with Jordan, whereas Mark has to share some of that responsibility with Sam um, they were very much doing it as a pair and at, at points Sam was really leading it even though it was a lot of Mark's alliance so I think as well um, Mark is pushing Josh as a leader as a threat and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that makes him the leader and the threat if he's really going to be that much out in front then he probably will win so then it becomes about you know playing in those margins of pushing that in front as a shield but then taking him out when you need to because if you don't he'll probably beat you um it reminds me of Tony in Kageyan He kept Spencer around very, very late. Uh, Spencer and Tasha, and it was seen as almost radical to take shields so far into the game when they could get to the end and they will beat you. But Tony had that kind of a scary sense of timing where he'll take it far if he needs to so that he can be shielded. And then he will find the time to cut you within the last milliseconds of the game um, at the final four for Spencer, taking him through there. So I think that it was a similar strategy of kind of taking that big threat as far as you can, but knowing you need the time to cut them if you can.
0: Now let's talk about the final three. It sort of has a different dynamic to a final two with the person who wins immunity having less power. How do you feel about that shift in dynamics?
1: I'm really glad that I got to play a season that was a final um, two, not three, because it's a totally different game. And as the person who won our final challenge, I got full control about who went home. So that's a really nice position to be in. It is very different. Had we had a final three, I don't think me or George would have won the game. You have less Time to get your big threats out when it's a final three, and you have to be really careful about who you're letting come so far towards the end of the game.
2: See, I think an immunity necklace is nice, but really the power lies in the numbers, and we saw that with Shay not really controlling the vote; it was Mark who controlled the vote at four, and then back on Haley in my season, even though our disaster scenario happened and Flick won that top four immunity challenge, and she was immune. Haley and I decided to send Cara home. So the players lose a bit of power at four. I think the impact at the final Tribal Council is you can win with a smaller pool of the jury. The jury's only expanded from nine to ten this season. Um, if it was a bigger jury, the impact would be less. But hypothetically speaking, you could win with only four votes with a final three and a ten-person jury. That's the impact on the game.
3: Hmm. I think conventionally we see a final three as emboldening bigger style games that can win next to two people and also have one if you around to get through um, if they're a big threat someone like Harry for example would make it to a final three and maybe beat a more under the radar player like Pia so we see a final two as kind of emboldening that more under the radar play style in terms of you know strategy versus physicality it's an interesting one because the final two obviously you have someone who wins a whole challenge and gets to decide at the final three. So that seems to involve in physicality. But then if you have a final two, you have more rounds for someone like George to really game things like the final five and Haley does with the final four. So there's more room for strategy there. I think either way, if you have great players like Haley and George, you can strategize kind of probably around either of these things with either getting kind of that power at the final four, even if you don't win immunity or kind of having those rounds to stake your claim. But then it is those bigger games that tend to really get validated with a final three more than a final two.
0: Well, so we have a new winner, but let's talk about that final three, a really diverse group. Mark dominated strategically. Chrissy, I guess, played a great social game, and Shay physically was just an absolute powerhouse. What did you guys make of that final three? I enjoyed hearing the different perspectives
2: from all three finalists. I mean, everyone played to their strengths, which is what you expect them to do in their pitches to the jury, but all three had compelling arguments. Chris is the one that highlighted her lack of experience in the game, and then she focused on her social strengths. And then she did highlight the moves that she made, which was building and holding her alliance together and then eventually deciding to get of Josh. I enjoyed how Mark, very conciliatory, went through every facet of the game. But what I really enjoyed the most about Mark's pitch was how he pinpointed how he decreased his threat level, doing things like, bobbing his head up around the water but not showing the body, that shows to me that Mark never switched off in the game and I would have highly respected that. And to give Shay credit, the fact that she pinpointed her underdog story, it was, it was compelling. It was compelling it was good to see. So I enjoyed the final three and I think they all did their very best at that final tribal council.
1: Yeah, we did see each of the finalists lean into, kind of strongly into one of the pillars of the Out Without Last Out play. Chrissy really lent into saying she had a social game. We heard that Shay really advocating for her surviving and outlasting everybody. And then Mark really pushing on his um, strategy and his intention that he had before he came in, the premeditated strategy he had throughout the game. So that was um, quite unique to see such a spread of different kinds of focus at this end stage
3: it's funny how you disagree like we can disagree on the out outplay play at last because i saw the same thing but for me it's a bit different um like chrissy for me that's out last like how did she get here no one would have thought that from day one and it is on those connections and i love the way that she emotionally went through kind of what every person meant to her i thought that was really personal and spoke to her social game i mean shay is outplay like she she gave her challenge record she's absolutely a physical beast and that's the most power that she had in the game yes she fought and survived and that's the story but where she got things done was in the challenges. And then Mark's obviously outwitted, which he spoke to with detail, I thought, and flattery of some of the people that he'd sent home because he has the most blood on his hands, or red, should I say? So he has the most kind of like there that people might be mad at. So he kind of has to come in, flatter them, explain why they were his targets, and he had to take them out in such brutal ways. So yeah, they all did really well in speaking to very, very different games.
0: Chrissy had a great point. Mark is a professional speaker. How much of that do you think played a role in his speech and his ability to answer those questions effectively?
1: Yes, I think it definitely helps to be confident in the way that you speak at tribal council, even if you're not feeling it. We see Shay start her speech seeming a little bit unconfident, crossing her legs, making herself a little bit smaller. And I think that that does matter in a speech like this because people are going to be giving you a vote for half a million dollars and they want to feel good about doing that and that you were really intentional in your game. So Mark's, you know, experience in being a speaker, I think, helps. Chrissy spoke really well, in my opinion, and she's a teacher, so she's used to standing in front of people and commanding their attention. So I think that that, historically, the job that you do does bring something into this final stage of the game.
2: To give credit to all three finalists, I don't think anybody stuffed up in their pitches or answering questions. They all had the confidence in the style of games that they played and they all gave answers to the questions that they were asked. But does writing and delivering speeches give you a bit of kind of experience in that setting? Of course it does.
0: Of course, Shay made a really compelling case. She was on the bottom more frequently than pretty much anyone else. Was her argument that she achieved the outlast part of Survivor better than anyone else?
2: Look, I don't particularly know about that point. Um, I would not have been swayed by that at all if I was on that jury. You could be on the bottom and be powerful by trying to convince people to undertake a certain course of action. I didn't see that from Shay's game. I think Shay was there because she didn't have much social capital in the game. She got voted out and then she came back and really lucked her way to the end, I would not have been impressed by that argument from Shay, but that's just me.
3: I think she definitely gets the outplay. Like in terms of the challenge wins, if that's something that you value, I know that Haley and George's jury definitely did value that challenge strength then yes, that's something she's completely earned. But I also take umbrage with the idea that being on the bottom is harder or better or more worthwhile game than being on top. Like, it definitely looks like you're doing more because you're kind of having to constantly tread water to even get anywhere. Um, It's definitely flashier because you get to make the fun moves and try and kind of upset the apple cart it can look like you're not doing a lot when you're on top it can look like you're just kind of maintaining something and that that's easy or coasting it's actually really hard and i don't think that fans sometimes really think about the effort and the time and the energy that goes into maintaining power and alliances and relationships and connections and majorities and i think if you're on top and you've had the social relationships to do that there might be some luck involved some good swaps but you've earned that. And I think it can be really difficult. So while it is less flashy, I don't think I agree that being on the bottom means necessarily having a better game. And I think honestly, it can often mean that you have screwed up in some part and it may make for a worse game. And if you're on
1: the bottom and you're not being targeted, that will either be because you're doing something really crafty to not be targeted, or just because you're not seen as a threat. And if it is because you're not seen as a threat, then that's not really something that should be celebrated.
0: Of course, it was great to see Chrissy make the final, considering where she started out from. Really amazing social game. Everyone sort of loved her. And she credited her vote against Josh as her big move in the game. What did you make of that? It was a little bit too little too late to sort of cement her as a player, don't you think?
3: I don't think you have to make a big move. Again, it's what the jury values. It could be challenge strength. It could just be those relationships. It could just be your general journey to get there. For me, it is that... When you're sitting in a position where you're not going to win at the end necessarily, and you have big threats in front of you, like Josh, you obviously have to take them out because you can't sit next to them. And then that becomes your big move. For me, it was too little too late for Chrissy because it really should have come at that top five. The second that she let two guys get to that final four, and I think both of them kind of had the edge over her at the end that to me became difficult. So I think that she could have claimed the move and had the timing just in, in terms of not even for it to be a resume point, but in terms of positioning at that final five, but then claiming it at the final four when it's kind of already done, that to me was too little too late.
2: See, the point that Chrissy made to me that I think had the most impact was the fact that aside from Brianna voting for her in episode two, she didn't cop a single vote until Josh voted for her. Chrissy is someone that literally played the perfect relationship game in Survivor. She built an alliance and she kept it together like glue for almost all 47 days. That is something that is worthy of the title of sole survivor and Chrissy did focus on her strengths. Now, whether the move on Josh was sufficient or not in terms of a resume is down to the subjective opinion of a jury, but my hot take from it was that Josh seemed upset that he was voted off and when josh asked chrissy that question i felt a bit of irony that it was okay for josh to target chrissy but chrissy wasn't allowed to make a move on josh that kind of like ruffled my feathers a little bit so it was a it was a question on chrissy's made this move she's gotten rid of her closest ally and then he seemed a bit upset with her the day after at the final tribal council
1: yeah i agree with what everyone said here chrissy has played a great social game but it really is about the perception of the jury. You've got potentially Sam and Mark on the jury, so you do end up having Sam returning players who who focus on gameplay. Jesse and Geordie have demonstrated that they care about big games. So when you have a lot of fans on the jury, you're probably going to need to have some moves in your resume to get that crown at the end. And you can see that um, Chrissy realizes this and tries to make a move at five to get Mark out. doesn't work, but makes a move at four to get Josh out which is good, but it, it, it might have been a little bit too late for some of our jurors. And it's, it, that's the fine and difficult balance of this game. If you make a move too early, like perhaps um, David or Geordie, then you voted out. If you make it too late, you might have left your run for the end, too late to be able to do anything. So it's a really complicated game to be able
3: to time that to perfection. And it also just depends on who you are and your perception. Like Josh doesn't need to do anything super flashy, I think. He, if he just gets to the end and maintains that he wins... Chrissy does need possibly more for her perception as someone who's more passive. She maybe needs just more of a feather in her cap. And then it is again about kind of having those people who will beat her at the end in front of her. I will say George, just in terms of Josh being upset when like he had turned on Chrissy and Chrissy turned on him. I will say the round before Chrissy did turn against their alliance and she was trying to weaken Josh in that way against his plan. And that possibly gave him a little bit of license. I think he even says to come for her so she kind of gets you know the first move in there i did think it was kind of beautifully paralleled to her when croc went home you know she votes against her pair but not for them but then she gets blindsided or it doesn't go to plan, and her target doesn't even go home those things were so specific but so similar that i really really like that parallel
2: see and it's good that you point that out shannon because chrissy has made active decisions in the game she split from her partner in croc which ended up sending croc home she split from Josh she's voted against Mark before. she's someone that even pointed out a few episodes ago that she had the golden ticket to the top three she was close to KJ and Shay they would have taken her. she was close to Mark and to Josh they would have taken her she was in the dream situation. all Chrissy needs to do is focus on her strengths and that's what she did at that final tribal council.
1: I so wanted Chrissy to turn around at this tribal council and say. I'm a super fan and I've fooled you all and I know everything and I've watched all the games and I've brought you all to the
3: end and now I'm going to beat you. I thought that would have been so funny. Yeah, this is a deep pool, but Christy Bennett um, referenced Danny Boatwright, who's like an under the radar, kind of not thought about often US Survivor winner. And I know that jurors like Nick were like, oh, she knows the game. I'm voting for that. If Christy had come in and specifically mentioned Danny Boatwright, she would have got my vote had I been on the jury because that would have been such a long con for 47 days. Maintaining that, damn, she would have deserved it.
0: Now, when the jury were asking questions, we saw KJ there ask Chrissy if she sort of let her emotions get the better of her. Do you think she did? And was it important not to let that happen in terms of her gameplay? That
2: is a very difficult question to answer because I can't pinpoint what information KJ is trying to elicit from Chrissy in that situation. And I'll look at what Chrissy actually did. If she was going to let emotion, get in the way of her game, she wouldn't have split from Croc. She would have just listened to Croc and targeted Jesse at that vote. And the same deal with the Josh vote. If she was emotional, she would have kept her number one at that final moment rather than getting rid of him. I don't know if that's what KJ wanted to hear from Chrissy, but it's it's so difficult to talk about emotions when she's had to make these tough decisions in the game. They're the decisions that resulted in her getting to the very end and then she's asking for someone like KJ to actually vote for her to give her the title that she was seeking.
3: For me, I think that emotion is inherently part of the game. The reason she can have such a good social game and connect with people is because she's connecting with them emotionally, so it's all part and parcel of her game. I will say the move to me that was too emotional and that was way too much based on just, like, loyalty was when she becomes the swing vote at that tie, KJ versus Josh at the final five when she slipped on Mark and she doesn't flip on Josh. For me, there is no strategic reason in keeping Josh there. The girls will take her to the end for what looks like a very open final three. And to stick with Josh there for me was pure emotion and loyalty. And maybe that's why KJ is asking it because she goes for that. And I don't think that that was the right move. So for me, yes, that is an unstrategic move. I agree. I think that Chrissy has played a game that at least on the
1: surface appears to be Quite emotional because she will sit there at tribal council and say, I don't know if I'm going with my head or my heart on this one. And I think that gives off the perception that she might not be making kind of calculated strategic moves, even if she is doing that. So I can understand why KJ is um, giving that question to her.
2: I think from KJ's perspective, I don't think she, as a juror, is someone that has watched probably every season of Survivor that's ever existed values emotional gameplay she would she's the kind of juror that values strategic gameplay and that is what the most influential thing on her vote is
0: shay was asked there by michelle to sort of honestly rate her game do you think shay was accurate in how she perceived it
3: was she accurate in how we would rate her game i mean accurate to what like everyone will have a different opinion on that rating i think what's hard is when you're pitching to a jury they hate two very different things. They hate when you overrate yourself and take credit for things you didn't do that they think they did, um, and they really push against that, and then they don't even credit you for moves that they would have maybe believed were yours, but they also don't like when you underrate yourself and say that, oh, it was just luck, and I didn't do anything to get here, and they're like, well, then what am I giving the money to? So you really have to find that sweet spot, and honestly, like, who cares how true it was? Maybe 8.7 actually is like the perfect number in that, because you don't want to go 10. You don't want the jurors to think that you think you did nothing wrong. You don't want to go like a five and them to be like, well, you don't even deserve to be here. You don't even think that you deserve it. Why should we give you that credit? So I think 8.7 is actually a pretty good number. I like it.
2: I would have liked to have heard a personal growth story from Shay. Like an 8.7 is an almost flawless game. And, you know, if we're going to call a spade a spade, she didn't play a flawless game. She said, I started the game at a two and I ended it at a 9.8 because do you know what? I turned into beast mode I won the immunity challenges when I did. And then I became the power broker that decided who is sitting here next to me. I would have sat down there and gone, wow, she's right. She started from the bottom and now she elevated herself by focusing on her strengths to here. But to give her an overall 8.7, I don't know how particularly accurate that is. And that wouldn't have sat well with me if I was on that jury as one of the majority of Survivor fans that were sitting there.
1: Yeah, it's a tough question to answer. I do like that idea of kind of stacking on the numbers and maybe taking them off with things you did wrong to really outline, like, give me points for this. You can dock a point for that, but you should give me more for this. Like to really give her a chance to lay out where her game is strong, where it might have a few weaknesses and be honest about it because the jury knows, like they've seen you play. So they might say, yeah, you went to purgatory. You should take a point off for that. And she can admit that that's okay, but then give herself some more points for other things she did afterwards that allowed her to get to the end
0: I sort of felt like Jesse's question to Mark about his threat level allowed Mark to impress the jury even further what did you guys make about during the whole course of Mark's journey how he managed that threat level
3: I think he managed his threat level obviously really well. We've now seen two big guys who are just optimally seen as threats, even though obviously someone like Hayley is clearly just as threatening, but it's the way that we just inherently perceive people, which is even aesthetically. We've now seen two big guys win Australian Survivor, Dave and Mark. And I think that it's a hard position for Australian Survivor. That's why the boys banded together in this season, because those big, strong guys have a lot of time to take them out through the merge in this very, very long game. And they both did a lot of work in trying to conceal or mitigate some of that threat level. For David it was in stacking that alliance with really loyal people, um, people that would carry him through to the end, and that was completely on his alliance management. For Mark, he speaks about it even in like physically reducing yourself. That's something another big physical threat in Jeremy Collins did. He lost weight to go out there to make himself even physically smaller. These are the type of things that people react to, just that perception. So he was working really, really hard on that. I think as well, the meat shield strategy, having those other strong guys around, pushing Josh forward as a shield that's a really big thing and just kind of dominating in other parts of it with sam getting the idols winning challenges when he needed to you are working hard to try and mitigate that threat level at all times if you come in with that kind of physical shape so i think he did really really well with it and i thought it was interesting that of all the people jesse did what we call in the super fan community he did the half murphy so he really advocated for him of all the people the idol that was stolen the ghost of jesse idol that we saw Um, It was Jesse who stood up and really advocated for Mark. So I thought that was an interesting turnabout and something that we really see from this jury and kind of how much they respect the game.
1: Yeah, I agree. This is one of the most impressive things about Mark getting to the end here is that he really shouldn't have. He's such a strong guy. And as Shannon mentioned, we saw that strong male alliance and that wasn't by chance. That was absolutely constructed so that the strong men can hide and be protected from each other. And yeah, totally reminiscent of previous American players. Um, Tony Vlachos, who has won twice in America. He speaks about after season 40. He talked about how he would walk on um, the lower side of the beach so he'd be shorter and he'd make his body smaller so that like he just wasn't seen and thought of as a threat. I thought it was really cool here how Mark said there is power in directly answering that question of, oh my God, I think Mark's a threat and saying, yeah, yeah, me and Sam are threats. Yeah. And so it makes people feel like, oh, okay, I don't need to worry about that. if that's a kind of known factor, that was a really interesting way to answer that. um, And I hadn't thought of it that way.
2: And to give a bit of credit to Jesse, this is what happens when you have a player sitting on the jury that actually respects and understands the game that's unfolding in front of them. And he's someone that is 21 years old, and he's been a fan probably since the day he was born. I'm assuming he was born around the year 2000 when that first survivor season came out. And he's living his dream out there. Yes, he was a victim of Mark's wife, supervillain Sam, who pulled off one of the most legendary moves ever. Yes, and Mark called the idol that he played Jesse's ghost, which propelled him forward to that final tribal council. But Jesse has enough respect for the game that he played and loves to ask Mark a question like that to enable him to unfold and unleash on this super strategic game
0: that Mark played. Any other questions that sort of stood out to you or were there some questions that you would have loved to have seen asked?
3: I would have asked about the role of Sam because they were such a powerful pair and Sam was doing so many impressive things. She ends up being sacrificed. Like There was some degree of luck for Mark that Sam was that good to get through to the merge, to dominate to the degree that she did. To hold up his game, and while they will share the check, you are voting for Mark as a winner. So it's like, how much did that shared responsibility take away from his game? In saying that, I do think that he played a phenomenal game himself, and he would be able to speak to that, and also just how they work together in that. But it's something I'd be interested in just hearing him kind of differentiate. Yeah, I'd be
1: interested to hear a little bit more from Chrissy about um, if the long term strategy was to sit next to either Josh or Mark, or would the ideal have been not to sit next to either of them? And yeah, and, and what it is to kind of differentiate her game from Mark's that would, would help me get over the line to want to put my Empress's name down. I think that would be interesting for her to really fight against him.
2: I think what I would have liked to have heard from Shay is what her strategy was at the tribe swap part of the game. I mean, the game goes for all 47 days. You can't just focus on the final four days where you win immunity she essentially is the person that enabled the formation of the boys club and then i kind of would have liked to have heard from her perspective how that benefited her uh strategic presence in the game by having lots of big strong men around her all
0: right i'll turn it over to you guys now that you've considered those final speeches who would you have voted for
2: well i would have voted for mark you've got to give credit Where it's due, Mark literally was in command from day one to day 47. I'll never forget watching that first episode when Mark literally lied down next to the girls and became as small as possible, and he was an obvious target from the get-go, and he shot and he fired. He's someone that used all of his military experience, and it came out and it resulted in his most deserving crown.
3: Yeah, I also would have voted for Mark. I mean, there was just long passages of just total dominance with the group, with the majority. There's also the individual moves, as you're saying, from the Andy vote right at the beginning, the move to split him and Sam up, the scarier move at the swap, which really allowed them to consolidate numbers on either side. And I actually thought that this move at the final five in going back to KJ and Shay and having them go to his side, manipulating them in his way, misreading him, was one of his best individual moves in the game and allowed him to win that vote even on the plurality. So I thought that he played a great game. Yeah, masterful in some ways. Him and Sam particularly just really had a lot of control. So two idols as well. You know, one from Sam, but as a pair, just a lot of dominance, hard not to vote for that. Yeah, I haven't had the chance to sit on a jury. This is the dress that I was planning
1: to wear had I been able to sit on a jury. But I would have definitely given my vote to Mark here. He's just played a phenomenal game. I agree with what both the other two have already said. I can see that Chrissy played a social game and Shay played a physical game, but they're just singular pillars where you have Mark here, who really has played an all-round fantastic game. He was physical. He won individual immunities. He was social. He had great bonds. And he was clearly very strategic. His strategic game was excellent from the large conceptual pieces of having a male alliance that's strong putting Josh Ford as a leader, those those slow things that took a long time, to these really small little bits of strategy that we saw throughout, the little misdirects, the let's sit in a group and laugh so no one thinks that we are um, speaking strategy. There was so much in there that showed how well he played. And a blood versus water season can be something where your partner can be a weakness, and we saw that throughout, that you were having to make up for the errors of your partner. And Sam and Mark came in here with such great strategy about how the two of them could use the partnership as a strength and they sacrifice Sam at one point so that he could be empowered with two idols. Just the logic behind the whole thing. He's played fantastically and I absolutely would have given him my
0: vote. It's our last edition of our particularly favourite segment. We like to call World of Survivor with Shannon. Shannon, we need your help here. We've wrapped up season seven of Australian Survivor, which saw a massive move from Sam. Like some people calling this one of the biggest moves they've ever seen in Survivor history. For people who watched it and loved it, where would you direct people? Are there some seasons that particularly stand out from your perspective where massive moves were pulled off?
3: Well, yes, the Australian Survivor off-season, so I'm sure you all want a lot more Survivor to watch, and as they say, there is a whole world out there. So there's a lot of good seasons. I firstly want to start at home. I mean, if you haven't seen every season of Australian Survivor, particularly Australian Survivor 2017, 2019, and George and Haley's own Brain versus brawn can hang it with the best of them. Absolutely some of the most globally significant, fun, and frenetic seasons that you will find all around the world. If you want to go a little bit further from home, in the US, I mean, when we're talking about big moves, you think about something like Survivor Micronesia Season 16, which has some of the biggest and most epic blindsides in the game's history. It is fans versus favorites, but you'll pick up on the context. And then what is considered the best season of all time? Season 20, Heroes versus Villains, which is just big move after big move. So epic. It is a returning season, but you should get it or just watch all the seasons before that and then you can get some of the context. So those are a lot of good examples. If you want to head to Survivor South Africa, season six Philippines is a little bit of an indie gem for us super fans, a little bit of a hidden treasure that is so fun from moment one. So definitely a lot of fun seasons to check out.
0: Of course, the theme was such a big one and played such a huge role in how this season played out. What are some other themes that we've seen around the world and what's ones that you'd like to see brought to Australia?
3: I do really love Brains versus Brawn and I will say both Brains, Brawn beauty seasons from the US, season 28 and 32 are epic seasons, particularly season 28, which is largely considered the best newbie season of all times. So again, if you don't want to miss out on any of the context, definitely go right now and watch season 28, the first Brains Brawn Beauty. Both blood versus water seasons as well, season 27 and 29 are also up there. So a lot on your watch list right now. But in terms of other themes, we've had champions versus contenders. That's kind of like a David versus Goliath type theme. That worked amazingly well in the US. Season 37, check that out as well. And then you might want to go to a bit of an age thing. Millennials versus Gen X was an incredible season season 33 definitely high on your watch list this is a newbie season as well so you can check that out i don't know that it was so great because of the theme they might have gone ott on a little bit of just like how millennials text and kind of the you know the age gap thing but it was an amazing season i do believe that as long as you have a phenomenal cast the theme comes second to that so that really is what leads a brilliant season and these are just a few of the many exceptional seasons that you can watch on your off season Yeah, I would echo what Shannon has said.
1: I did like um, Millennials vs. Gen X. I thought that was really fun. Second Chance, this is one of my favorite seasons. We have said something similar when we have All Stars here in Australia. But getting people back in who really want revenge and have a gripe, that can be really fun to watch. I would put forward those as my um, seasons that I have enjoyed that we could adapt as a theme.
2: Well, I can't wait to watch MasterChef Fans versus Foodies, so maybe we can adapt that and have a Fans versus Favorites, which is one of the iconic US seasons. But something that really I think will get the juices pumping is if we have the global crossover, Australia against the world, I think that would truly test who are the best Survivor players worldwide, here on Australian soil, of course.
0: Of course, it's a while back now, but we saw Sandra join Australian Survivor, an absolute legend of the game. And if someone's out there wanting to learn more about some of the biggest players in Survivor history, who would they keep their eye out for?
3: So if you want to see more Sandra, which how could you not, many of her seasons are considered some of the best of all time. Season seven, if you want to go super old school to Pearl Island, Sandra's debut, I would highly recommend checking that out. I hope you guys are writing this down. I'm going to test you later. But also, if you want to go to a second season, Heroes vs. Villains, which we mentioned before, you will meet some of the most iconic characters in global Survivor history. Someone like Parvati, we've obviously had Russell as well, Sandra's there, Boston Rob. A little later on, you'll meet someone like Tony in in the late 20s of, of Survivor. So those are some of the most iconic characters. If you want to meet basically the people that are fighting it out for those Mount Rushmore spots, you want to go to season 20 and you'll cover the first half of the franchise. Yeah, look, if you want
1: to watch a woman dominate, um, head over to One World and watch Kim Spradlin. Um, She played a really fantastic game. I love watching that. I really, really like Jeremy Collins. Um, I love the way that he can manage his threat level and the things that he learned on the second time that he played the game. So I would advocate for him as someone to watch. You know, who doesn't love a favourite? You've got to watch a bit of Boston Rob, um, who has played a bunch of times. Wife beat him once, but he then, you know, figured out a niche about how to get there. So tap hit hat to Boston Rob.
2: Haley, you stole stolen my thunder because when I wrote down my two favourite Survivor players right before we started our season, I wrote down Sandra, who I'd love to see play Australian Survivor again, and the other one was Boston Rob. But given that we've seen Sam Gash turn into one of the most iconic supervillains of all time. Why not invest in the iconic US supervillain and bring Johnny Fairplay to our shores? Wouldn't that be a delight to see Sandra's original rival play Australian Survivor?
3: Yeah, this what we put requests in for production? Because if so if Australian Survivor is going to bring anyone back, I want my favourite player of all time, Seri Fields. If we could bring Seri in and I could interview her one day, um, that would be my request. So I love that we have this opportunity right now, hopefully with an ear to production, and just give them a full list. And this is who we'll get maybe for Georgia's Australia versus the world season. And all my dreams will come true.
0: All right. We're all survivor fans here and I hate to sort of narrow it down, but what would you pick as your favorite all time survivor season? If you had to maybe one or two.
3: My favorite season of all time was season 40 of us survivor, the all winners season for me as a longtime super fan. Obviously I've dedicated my life to this for some reason. It was just the, the, fan dream I never thought would be realized with 20 winners coming back I just never thought it would be possible and it gave me chills watching it literally every week but I think the fandom consensus is that season 20 heroes versus villains is the best season of all time the survivor movie as they call it both of those seasons and so many of the others mentioned here are just absolutely worth your time and such incredible content.
2: Spot on with my two US picks Shannon but how can you get past Australian survivor brains versus brawn where the king and queen provided a masterclass for everybody watching around the world on how to play the game of Survivor.
1: I'm going to take a similar um, route to George, but instead of our season, I'm going to say I really like Survivor Kageyan, Brain vs. Brawn vs. Beauty. If you like that kind of thread of Brain vs. Brawn, add in the Beauty Tribe, um, and there's some really great gameplay in that season.
0: Yes, yeah, so many great seasons and plenty more still to come. It's a franchise that doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon. We're up to seven here and hopefully many more on our local shores. But uh, that's it from us as your resident guides on Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. We're going to wrap up our season as well. It's been great fun to have you on board. We've enjoyed your company. Hayley, Shannon, George, it's been amazing to have you. Before we let you go, what has been your favorite moment from this season so far?
3: My favorite moment was probably in just individual moment. Sam stealing the idol was truly an iconic moment as it was created. You know, some moments take years to become iconic and some are made in that very second and I think that's what we saw with Sam's confessional when she thanked Jessie for the idol. But for me, the highlight other than that, was just having Sandra. Like sometimes it's hard to believe that Sandra was on this season. It's been a while since she was there, but it actually was such a joy and such a privilege to watch her. And I will always cherish those times that we had. My highlight was watching Sandra's protege,
1: Nina, really flourish. I, I really enjoyed that. I didn't know what to expect. And she did fantastically. It's a real shame that she went home on a medical evacuation. Hope we get to see Nina again. I really enjoyed watching her play.
2: I think I have two highlights that stand out. I think in terms of tribal council play, it was Sam's short and fraud about pretending to have an idol and then not having the idol and then doubling down and tripling down on the whole idol fiasco. I think that was just iconic gameplay and memorable television that will be spoken about in the Survivor Hall of Fame for years to come. But from a personal perspective, I just loved hearing Sandra speak and when she said she's going to swoop on those rookies like Sophie, I'm just sitting here going,
0: yay,
2: swoop, Sandra, Sue!
0: Yeah, so many great moments, guys, and plenty more still to come. I'm sure of that where we outwe- outplay and outlast again. That's it from us, and we'll see you next time on Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. Hey! Thanks for listening to Australian Survivor Talking Tribal, a Network 10 podcast.